I love that. You know, a friend sent that to me. I've not checked it out to see if it's really true or not. You never want the facts to get in the way of a good sermon illustration, right? But um, that's cool. If you're our guest today, uh, we are closing out a series that is actually called Chameleon. And, and what we're trying to fight is that urge wherever we are just to fit in and not be different. And we close the series with this challenge. Don't be a chameleon even in church. And some, sometimes we come to church and we just reflect the people that we're around. Have you ever seen someone become a new Christian? They're all excited about God. And there's almost this unspoken word that once they're around us long enough, they'll calm down. Or I, I can remember, we see a lot of college students here, back being a campus minister. And always the fear was, if someone brought their friend to our campus ministry, uh, you would always be afraid that they might somehow get with someone in the campus ministry and go out and start partying together. The exact thing you didn't want to have happen. RSVP, we struggle with the same thing. We want to help people overcome addictions, not meet people to meet, make the addiction worse. And then more subtle for most of us is just the temptation when we become a part of a church and if we get around people that are negative or we get around people that are inactive or we get around people that are lukewarm, that we become like them. And so even in church, we have to fight to not be chameleons. And so our challenge today is that we want some breakout believers, some believers who break out of the mold that's sometimes set in American church today. We're going to study from a, a famous Old Testament story, one of my favorite, but I want to look at it from a new angle. Let me first of all sort of set the scene. It's 1 Samuel 17, if you're looking in your Bible. Uh, on one hill, you have the army of God. And on another hill with the valley between them, you have the Philistine army, the vowed enemies of God. And you know the story. There's a champion named Goliath. Sometimes in ancient days, instead of everybody fighting, you just sent your best guy. And there was a champion named Goliath, probably nine feet, possibly 10 feet tall, armor weighed 225 pounds itself, who would step out and he would come down the valley, look up at the army of God and defy them to step out and fight him. And if you read the text closely, he did this 40 days in a row, morning and evening, 80 times. And nobody steps out. And that's where our famous character comes in. You know his name. It's what? It's David. Now, let's, let's talk about this just for a moment because David is the youngest of all of his brothers David does not even qualify to be here in the army, but his oldest brothers, Eliab, Shammah, and um, what's the other one's name? Eliab, Shammah, and Abinadab. Wouldn't you like the name David in that family, right? I'd be excited about that. They're out fighting. So one day dad says, dad, Jesse says, why don't you go check on your big brothers and hey, let me give you some, some bread and some cheese and go see how they're doing and go look at the battle. Now, I want you, first of all, put yourself in David's place. He is so excited to go see the battle. And you can read that excitement, if you'll get in the text with me, in verse 20, when David sets off early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out 
to the battle positions shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Listen to the excitement. David left his things with the keep of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brother how they were. You ever just been going to maybe a sporting event and you were so excited and you were outside the stadium and the bands were playing, you know, and the crowd was into it and you, you walked in and your team just got annihilated. I, I feel like that's what David's experiencing here. He walks in, he's proud of his brothers, he's heard these stories about the army of Saul, he hears the battle cry and he goes to watch. Look at verse 23, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Now, David's thinking, okay, this is why I came. Who's about to step out? Eliab, will it be you? Saul, will it be you? Here is the downer. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Can you imagine the disappointment? Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? Yeah, he comes out to defy Israel. Now, King Saul's got pretty upset about this, so he's decided to give some incentives for someone to get off that mountain and get in the valley and fight Goliath. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. That sound pretty good to you? Most everything but the daughter. Sounds really, really good, okay? So this is big time. And Saul's trying to convince someone to step out. Now David hears this. David asked the men standing near him. You ever heard something sounded too good to believe? David basically says to his, his friends here, would you run that by me again? What did King Saul say? What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then David shows his perspective. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? We're not getting in the details on that, but that basically means he doesn't know God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so they repeated, they repeated to him what they'd been said, saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So David's beginning to ask around. He's like, what's going on? This guy doesn't know God. We are the army of God. Now, to this point of the story, they've always called themselves Saul's army. David sees it different. David says, this is the army, right underline that line. This is the army of the living God. That's the difference in David and the rest of them. Now, word gets to Eliab, the old brother. That David's thinking about fighting. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Even just sort of criticized the size of his sheep. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You've come down only to watch the battle? Now, if I'd been David, I think I'd look up at Eliab and said, what battle? I don't see a battle going on. What are you talking about, Eliab? Now look at David's response to this negative, I think, jealous brother. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 16, you remember there when Samuel comes and he's anointing the king and he comes to Jesse's family. David's not even in the house. 
And Jesse runs all his boys in front of King Samuel. And he says, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. And they finally, at the end, they go, do you have anybody else? He said, yeah, I've got this little squirt kid out in the, you know, the fields. And they bring David in. And Samuel said, that's the man we'll anoint as king. The Eliab, I'm sure, thought way back then, it should have been him, the older brother. And so his jealousy comes out. And he criticizes David. Watch what David does. Now, what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? He then, here's the key, he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Saul finally hears this rumor. There's somebody who wants to fight. Please come see me. David said to Saul, well, I love this young man. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're just a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. And then David basically says to Saul, hey, man, you may look at me as just a kid, but I fought a lion and a bear. God has prepared me. This man has defied God, and he's not putting up with it. I'm ready to fight. Saul says, okay, if you want to. Now, here's the, here's the deal here, guys. If anybody should have been fighting, it should have been Saul. Saul's a great warrior. He should have stepped out there. But finally, he says, okay, David, if you insist on it, I'll let you just, just wear my armor. He puts it on. He takes two steps, and it doesn't move. And David says, I, I don't need this. And so finally, watch one of the great scenes in all the Bible, verse 40. Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Now, some smart aleck always asks at this point in the story, why does he need five stones? He's only going to use one. I've got two answers for you. Number one, God never requires perfect faith. God uses people with faith of a mustard seed. Number two, we know from 2 Chronicles that Goliath had four giant brothers. We actually find out there that one of them had six toes on each foot and six fingers on each hand. It's a lovely family. And so, so you know, my best answer is he's ready for all five of them, all right? So he goes down to watch the story as it unfolds. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Now, older translation says he was ruddy. What does that mean? He had rosy cheeks. What do they say in our world? He looked like a sissy. And, and, and Goliath is... He is absolutely appalled that after all these shouts and all these challenges, they finally send this little dot of a boy coming off the side of the hill to fight him, an experienced warrior. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. Goliath talked some trash. And David doesn't talk trash. He talks truth back. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battles of the Lord and he will give you into our hands. So we see this unfold. As the Philistine moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking a stone, he slung it and it struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And then, I'd love to have this scene, you know. David ran and stood over Goliath. He took out the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath. And he killed him and he cut off his head with the sword. I mean, can you imagine David being able to get that big, big, heavy sword out, just sort of dropping it over his neck? His head rolls, and then look what happens in the next verse. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Look at the next part. And the rest of the Philistines fled. It's a great, great scene. And here's the contrast I want us to land on today. There's two groups of God's people here. One are God's people up on this hill. The other is David down in the valley taking on Goliath. See, our contrast in our question today is, which represents me, which represents you better? Now, if you were to interview these folks over here, I think you'd have a pretty good interview. You know, we're, we're here. We'd like to find out a little bit about you guys. What is, what is the name of this outfit? Well, we are, um, we are the armies of God. Oh, that's good. That's cool. Okay. Uh, can I ask you a question real quick? Do, do, do you believe in God? Did I not just tell you we're the armies of God? Of course we believe in God. That's offensive for you to ask us, do we believe in God? Okay, you can believe in God. That's cool. There's Goliath down there. What are you doing about it? Well, we shout the war cry. We just sort of sit here. And today I'm afraid in so many churches... You can do an interview. So what, what, what is the name of this group here? Well, well we are the, the family of God. We're the church of Christ. We are the church, the body of Christ. Oh, that's cool, man. That's awesome. What great, great descriptions. Well, what do you guys do? Well, we, we get to there once a week. We shout the war cry. Cool. Well, there's a battle going out in the world. What are you doing? Well, we just sort of stand up here. That's the contrast I'm asking you to look at today. Because let's be honest for a moment. Church and Christianity are dying in America. I don't have to give you those statistics. You know it. And we are tempted to blame it on external causes. But listen in this story, my friend. Listen closely. Goliath was not their problem. God would have blessed anybody who stepped out there. Their problem was not external, their problem was internal. And today, the reason the church is dying in America is because the church is dying within itself. We can point all our fingers out there and blame it, but the question is, who are we going to be? Now, this is what I love about being a part of the Landmark Church. I think this church is exceptional. 
Man, I think this is a church that says, we're not okay with average. We're not okay with the status quo. We're willing to step out and even be criticized to do what God wants us to do. And so many of you, man, I could point to person after person who stepped out and started ministry to people with addictions, who people who stepped out and started ministry to children and to teenagers and to college students and to adults. I mean, just this past week, Tim and Rebecca MacArthur started our latest and newest life group because they were a part of a great group, been together for years, but it finally got too big. And so they step out and they start this. We got people all around us who are willing to step out. But here's my question for you, my question for for me. Who better represents you? Now, I'm going to ask this in a pretty blunt way for just a moment, okay? And I've had this conversation with a few friends lately, and... um, I want to have it with all of us just for a moment. And here's the way I want to frame it. If everyone at Landmark, let's just just put some words in the blank. If everyone at Landmark attended church the way you do, what kind of church would we have? If everybody in this church gave like you, what would our offering be like? If everyone serves like you, how many folks would be served? If everyone checked on people the way you do, I hear people go, well, nobody checked on me. And then you go, well, you ever checked on anybody? Well, no, no, but nobody checked on me. (laughs) If everybody was a part of a small group like you, would we have a small group ministry? If everybody was as dedicated to their life group or their ABC group as you are, what kind of group will it be? You see, sometimes what I believe is we all love this church. I love to hear you guys talk about this church. This is a wonderful place, and we love this being a great church. But sometimes we love this being the great church on the back of other people. It's great, and I want Landmark to be great, but don't ask me. Now, some of you can object to what I'm saying, okay? I, I got the objection. I understand it. I want to address it. Well, buddy, man, I serve God everywhere I go. I mean, what are you talking about? I need to serve God in this church. I mean, I, my number one focus is my family and the community I live in, school or place I work. Love that. Love that. Listen to me, guys. This church does not need to exist between these four walls. And I, and I love that we won't, and I love what happened in the inner city. I love what happened back here in our parking lot this week. And I love the way so many of you are reaching out through hope-inspired ministry, and you name it. God bless that. That's part of it. But here's the pattern in Scripture, guys. The church gathered, and then the church scattered. The idea is we come together because it's so easy on your own to get discouraged. You're out there just serving and meeting troubled people and trying to help on your own. What you need is a place where we come together like we're doing this morning and we pump each other up and we praise God and we're reminded of what really is important. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us. We gather and then, yes, we go and scatter. Because listen to all the biblical descriptions of church. None of it, none of it fits one person. We are the family of God. You can't do that by yourself. We're the army of God. Who would like to be a part of an army where one guy? We are the body of Christ. The whole picture implies there's lots of different parts doing lots of different things, all working together to be Jesus. And my goodness, my friend, the word church itself means a gathering. And the New Testament knows nothing about people who were Christian people who weren't active in church. 
Now, please do not hear me wrong. I'm not talking about earning your salvation, and I'm certainly not talking about neglecting your family. We've seen people who got so wrapped up in church that they weren't good parents, so they weren't good with their, their children. That's not what we're talking about because both of these spheres of influence are critical. But I make no apologies that God's church should come before your recreation, your hobbies, your entertainment, your travels, and any other organization on the face of the earth. That's where it belongs. And I challenge you, we all mourn and we're so sad about what's happened to Christianity and what's happened to the church, guys. But understand, the church has always been God's plan. Oh, is it more difficult and more challenging to do this together? Absolutely. But listen, it's like Dan says every Sunday, and I love this statement because this is the truth of our message today. I hope you're listening. We can do together what we could not do alone. Oh, you can do some great things by yourself, but there's some things that will only happen as we come together. You see, too many of us are sitting on the side of the hill when we're needed in the valley slaying our Goliath. Now listen to me. You understand this. I don't have to say all this. Because you know any organization that you're a part of, any ball team, any club, any workplace, you, you know this. This is not even theological. I'm giving you a theology. Let me give you the practical for a second. It's not going to work without commitment. I don't care how much you love it. You don't show up. You're not a part of it. It's not going to work. Because sometimes in a church this size, it's easy for us just to say, you know, it, it'll happen no matter if I show up and work or not. So let me close with four really strong points here. You will never be a breakout believer if you only focus on what everybody else is doing. Sometimes with your children, they'll come and say, I want to go do this. And as a parent, you go, no, you're not going to do that. I don't approve of that. And they're going to go, well, dad, come on, man. Everybody else at school is doing it. And guys, sometimes at church, you know, we say, well, you know, this is the way everybody else acts around here. Listen, listen, our standard is not the way even everybody acts in this church. Our standard is scripture, Right? We're studying the book of Acts upstairs. What an exciting story of what the church is like. And I grew up going, that's the standard. But see, when you look at that church and the way they love God and the way they love people and the way they served and the way they prayed and the way they evangelized, and that's the standard. That's, that's, this, this is what's supposed to be the norm. But here's what I'm afraid, guys. We have lived subnormal so long that when someone actually lives what Scripture would say is normal, we think they're fanatical. That's, that's the standard. Let's don't just do what everybody else around us says. Number two, well, you will never be a breakout believer if you listen to what everybody else is saying. I mean, do you, you under the story here, all the voices in David, Eliab basically says to him, you're not good enough. I know your faults. You're conceited. You're not good enough. How many of us does Satan whisper in our ears, oh, I know that needs to happen, and I know Landmark wants to, to, to do this in our community, but you're not good enough. Saul says to him, you're not talented enough. You don't have the right experience. You don't have the right pedigree. 
Goliath says, you're not strong enough. And none of us are strong enough, but together we experience the power of God. Some other things that might be whispered in your ear is, you're really not needed. I mean, just watch Landmark. It appears that everything runs really smoothly, whether you're a part of it or not. Do you realize what that does? I think the greatest excuse is, the greatest whisper is you just don't have time. And listen, my friends, here's what I figured out about my life. Here's what I figured out about your life. We do what we want to do. We, we, make, we make time, my friends. It's not a matter we don't have time. It's a matter that we're making time for not always the things that are the most priority. So here's my challenge to all of us is that we step out. Don't be a chameleon even in this church. It's so easy just to, just to sort of fit in, especially a church this size because you go, nobody sort of knows whether I'm there or not. Nobody knows if I'm actually going to my life group. Nobody actually knows where I'm serving. And that's what's so exciting about next Sunday. Next Sunday is our faith work Sunday. Next Sunday is our Sunday we make our giving commitment. Next Sunday, we decide what we want to be active in in our church in the year 2023. And guys, together, what I said all along, we can do together what we can't do alone. But here's, here's another key. You will never be a breakout believer if you focus on your problem or your problems and not on God. Listen, everybody in this room has Goliaths. We all have issues we're dealing with. There's no issue-free person in this room. But here's what we got to learn from David. He didn't focus on the size of Goliath. He focused on the size of God. The difference in David, you got all these folks over here. They're claiming the right things. They got the right name. They're saying they're the children of God, but they're doing nothing. What's the difference? David says, guys, when I see Goliath, I don't see Goliath. I see the living God. He's not just some history lesson. He's just not theology. He's actually someone who's living, who's active, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out on that. You see, in this whole series, everybody we've looked at in Scripture who wasn't a chameleon, the common thread from Job to Nicodemus to Joseph to David has been they all saw God when the people around them didn't. Do you see God or do you just see problems today? And number four, you'll never be a breakout believer if you hesitate. What I love about David is he ran to the battle. I've missed too many breakout moments in my life because I hesitated. Because here's what Satan's okay with. He's okay with you saying, buddy, what you're saying today is right. Oh, I believe that. That really is what the Bible teaches. Just not now. You see, what we're looking for today are more breakout believers you got David as an example. You look around this worship center this morning, and there's so many people you can point to that are living this way. And here's my question for you and for me. Why not you? And I ask you as we look at these contrasts between the army on the hill and David in the valley, which best represents you? And I'm not saying this to send you on some guilt trip. That's not going to help. I'm saying this because God got better for you. Let me ask the next question here. Where do you find fulfillment? Can I ask it this way? 
do you think these people up here claiming the right things, shouting the battle cry, yet letting this heathen guy defeat them every day, you think they left feeling fulfilled? No, these are the people that felt guilty. How about David? He's just a little squirt. He didn't even make the army. Nobody really thinks he's qualified, but he's down in the valley and he's slaying Goliath. I'm telling you, that man left fulfilled. And what I'm saying to you and I today as we prepare to respond to this message is, guys, I don't apologize for saying what I'm saying today because I know that God's way brings fulfillment. And just to be a chameleon, fit-in member of this church is not where the great joy is going to be found. It's going to be found when you step out and you do things you might not be comfortable doing, but you see God and you don't see the Goliath and you're willing to step out and be counted for God. Amen? I close with this story. A few years ago, there was a young lady named Arlene Limas. She was 21 years old. She was a DePaul University junior, and she was participating in the Olympics. It was in South Korea, and she was the first American to ever win a gold medal in the martial arts. So she wins it. And they're getting ready to celebrate it. So everybody's up on the stands, the bronze, the silver. She's standing up here as the gold medal winner. The flags drop, and there's the stars and stripes. And then someone in the back pushes the button to start the star-spangled banner to celebrate what this American had done. But it doesn't work. And so she's just standing there. Audie's just standing there. It's awkward. Nobody quite knows what to do. And so young Arlene Limas, all on her own, began to see the, sing the star-spangled banner all by herself. And so she starts to sing it. Her parents in the audience, they stand up and they start singing with her. There's American tourists, they stand up. There's American athletes, they stand up. And by the end of the Star Spangled Banner, the whole Coliseum stood and sung it a cappella. It's awesome. Now that happened because one person was willing to stand up and sing. And I'm saying to you, not only will it change you, but it will change the people around you if you're willing to stand up and be counted for God. If this morning you're tired of just being a chameleon and you're ready to step out, if we could pray for you before you walk out of this place, if today's the day you'd like to give your life to Jesus and start life all over, then what an awesome opportunity we have. Stand up, be counted, and let God bless you. Right now, stand and let's sing together.